Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here's your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. <laughs> I love that new opener. Good job, Jeff Sellers. Uh, we've partnered with Jeff and Terry Sellers. Terry is a producer. Jeff is an engineer, does a lot of work in broadcast. We're thrilled to have that. So, yes, we have a new opener. We're probably going get, to get a couple more out there, so we vary it up. But it's good to have you with us, everybody. It is Monday, November 7th, the day before the big election. I'm sure if you have not already voted, you're joining the record volume of voters to go out to the booth and have your voice heard. That's the beautiful part about the American system. We get to select our leaders. Anyway, speaking of one of our leaders, we have Ted Tozier joining us, who is the president of Jenny May, and what an honor it is to have Ted. I was with him in Boston. I, we had him in the booth and on the program shortly, and then I was with him this last week in Austin. I always love Ted's res, uh, perspective on what's going on. We're going to be talking about Jenny May. We're also going to be talking about what this election means to the housing finance system. It's a lot to talk about, and Ted's got a great perspective there. He's done an amazing job at Jenny May, and I'm not just saying that just because he's on the line here. Uh, it is just a reality. He does a spectacular job at Jenny May, and we're so blessed and fortunate to have Ted joining us, giving us his perspective on where the uh, housing finance system is in America, where it's going, specifically where Jenny May's going, and also his thoughts on this election. Again, this podcast is created by mortgage professionals. For mortgage professionals, and we are the proud recipient of the Progress in Lending Award. Very grateful for them and Tony Giratano and the team over there. Thank you. Appreciate it. We are going to be getting into, well, first of all, let's talk about some of our sponsors. I want to say a special thank you to ArchMI, the innovator of the creator of the new innovative Rate Star program, Motivity Solutions, providing real time reporting, dashboards, and scorecards. VELMA, which stands for the Virtual Electronic Marketing Assistance, V-E-L-M-A, Virtual Electronic Marketing Assistant. It can help you build stronger and more profitable relationships through their Set It and Forget It auto email campaigns, or you can do what I do and create a lot of custom email campaigns on the fly. They do a great job. Brent Emler and the team over there do an awesome job. Check them out at VELMA, V-E-L-M-A dot com, or call Brent at 208-854-7909. Simplifile, real-time electronic communication exchange. Nancy Alley and the team do a great job. We'll hear from them in a little bit. Mortgage Collaborative, the power of the network, and then also DNH, moving your world forward through technology. They've been in business for 140 years. That's amazing. We have 5,500 employees worldwide, supporting 8,000 clients. That's pretty successful in over 70 countries. Check out what DNH's mortgage bot, all-in-one LOS can do for you and while you're there check out their mortgage bot mobile very cool what they're doing there and uh, very progressive and if you're looking for something especially if you're a financial institution looking for something to compete with uh, the quicken mortgage rocket mortgage you got to check this out dh.com www.dh.com or call them at 1-800-815-5592 
Also, a special thank you to Alice and, and Joe. Andy's on vacation or out working today. He's on vacation. He's working. He's been really working hard lately. And we also have Paul and Sam Garcia joining us today. So very honored to have them here with us. We'll get into the program. A couple updates on programs, I mean, on what's going on as far as conferences. We had the big conference a couple weeks ago. Last week was AmeriCatalyst. It was a wonderful conference. Encourage you to bookmark both of those. Make sure you're at those next year. November 10th, we have the Whole Own War Trading Workshop that's in the Phoenix Airport at the Hilton there at the Phoenix Airport. Also, November 15th through the 17th, the Accounting and Finance Management at the Manchester Grand Hyatt Hotel. Also, on the 14th, we'll be doing a broadcast from San Diego at that conference hotel. And we're going to be doing a special broadcast on with the Alight Conference. And so, uh, Alight uh, is just the uh, financial projection and financial modeling tool, and they do a lot more than that. I'm killing that. Sorry, sorry about that, Michelle. But anyway, they're, they're going to be there, and we're doing a live event, and we're broadcasting live for two hours after our regular broadcast. Also, the Independent Mortgage Bankers Conference coming up January 23rd through the 26th, and February 14th through the 17th is the National Mortgage Servicing Conference and Expo at the Gaylord Texan. They're in Grapevine in the Dallas area. So good to have you all with us. Check out all the MBA conferences and education that they provide. Great resources. And while you're there, sign up for the Mortgage Alliance, Mortgage Action Alliance. Great thing to be a part of, and you do not have to be a member of the MBA to do that. Joe Farr, good to have you here each and every week, giving us an update. And I'm looking at your screen here. Interesting, a little bit. Not, no, no it's real kind of, economic data. It's pretty data. flat today. That's right. Flat, but yeah. No economic data and and no real uh, movement in MBS prices. We are down of, uh, about three thirty seconds below where we ended the day on Friday, but uh, certainly at this point, no no concerns about price changes coming. Uh, the stock market, though, uh, can you say the same about that? It's up three hundred fifty points in in wow. reaction to the FBI director's uh, comments about the the emails, and I'm sure everyone's heard by now the. The, the uh, belief that uh, there's nothing there to, to go forward with. So, uh, and as we've seen the last week or so, uh, the uh, market really favors, at least the stock market really favors a Clinton presidency, and and so uh, that clearing by the FBI improved her chances of winning, and and that's been favorable for stocks. Fortunately, not so negative is- for bonds. Yeah, do you think that is a result of them not so much favoring Clinton per se, but it's the perception that there's it's less there's less unknowns and therefore the unknowns have improved the market, not necessarily Clinton herself being elected. Is yeah, well, it, it, I, I I guess you can say it either way, Dave. I mean, there's uh, certainly the market sees less uh, uncertainty in a Clinton presidency than they might in a Trump presidency. So, you know, remove that uncertainty and, and stocks like that. But, uh, I I can't say it has anything to do with one person's policies or another, other, other than just that there's less uncertainty with a Clinton presidency. I would expect that you're so politically correct all the time. You're always so good about walking down that narrow razor edge. But I just had to get your thoughts on that. So anyway, good job. Um, let's see what what else. If we look forward, into, let's talk about last week. Yeah, last week. Uh, you know, it was mostly election related movement last week. Although not a lot of movement. MBS prices ended the week about five thirty seconds higher, and, and a lot of that was as the email. Uh, you know, reviews were coming out and the questions were being asked and, and the concerns were out there. And so just like uh, they improved today when some of that was cleared up, uh, the stock market improved today. 
um, uh, you know, the bond market uh, was getting better last week as uh, as those findings were sounding harmful for Clinton. So um, just kind of reversed itself, I guess, here. Uh, last week, you know, we had big events. We had the Fed. We had the Bank of Japan. We had Bank of England in the news. And, and uh, uh, the Fed, at least the Fed and the Bank of Japan, did very little. Uh, we expected that. I think we talked about that on the show last week. Uh, the Bank of England did disappoint investors by really kind of downplaying the need for future rate cuts, and uh, and then there's also a, a political uh, or a, a legal assessment of the need for the Parliament to approve uh, what goes into that Brexit package, and and that was a little bit of a new thing that that stirred the market up a little bit. The economic data. That we that came out last week was mixed. The uh, core PC came in pretty much as expected. The ISM surveys one was uh, a bit of a beat, while the other fell a little bit short. So that was mixed. The jobs report, although it fell short uh, in the current month for jobs, uh, came in at what 161 when 175 was expected. Prior months were revised uh, higher by 44,000. The unemployment rate fell, but that was expected. The big surprise really came from wages. Uh, wage inflation grew at a 2.8% annualized rate in October. and, and Well, that's over October last year. And uh, that's the highest annual rise in wages since 2009. So that certainly is going to have the attention of the Fed. And if there was much doubt about you know, the Fed not raising rates in December, that that single statistic should have given them enough information to go forward with that rate rise. And then as we look at the current week, there's really very little on the economic calendar, but but all the attention is going to be on the election, right? Uh, the uh, economic data includes the JOLTS report that comes out tomorrow, and then their Treasury auctions on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, the 10-year the auctions on Wednesday. So there's really just not a lot other than the elections to, to receive the focus uh, during this current week. Really interesting. Well, let's, uh, you know, all eyes are on the election. So looking forward to, uh, if you just look at this whole thing, I'm just really looking at the markets right now and looking at, it sounds like it looks starting to, it's starting to trend. Uh, prices are trending lower right at the moment. So, yeah, and, and that could be because uh, chances of a Clinton victory are rising. Yep. That's the, that's I hadn't seen the latest polls, but. Good. Well, we'll we'll then we're going to know tomorrow. Well, we should know well by tomorrow night. We'll find out. Looking forward to this. It's going to be one of those cliffhangers. It it's will like be a, interesting. It's like like the World Series. It was really really good. All right. So uh-huh. I'm looking for your show notes. I didn't catch them. Up, so I don't want to make sure I didn't miss anything on your show notes there. I didn't get a chance to see them beforehand. So my that was it. All right, good deal. We're good to go then, folks. Good to have you with us. We've got Paul Mallow in the queue as well as Alice Alvey. We're going to be right back after this brief break. Looking for that competitive edge? MBS QuoteLend delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up-to-the-minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect. And know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS QuoteLine, delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about MBS QuoteLine today at MBS. MBSQuoteLine.com. MBSQuoteLine.com. 
646-716-4972. The Lickin' on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin'. Ooh, good to have you with us, everybody. I'm looking for Paul Marlowe's line. He dialed in from a, a drop for a minute. We're not sure if the audio issues are on my side or on his. So, But anyway, we found you, Paul, and we got your mic turned on. Good to have you with us, friend. Appreciate good. you joining good. us. Can you hear me okay? We hear you now, loud and clear. Hopefully, we have oh, the issues are just on that side. But anyway, good to have you in. However, okay. you can join us. Let's run through your first of all. For those who are wanting Paul Mala, who's that guy? He is the fame. I used to say infamous. He is famous for his ability to write on <laughs> articles timely basis. <laughs> and then Paul challenges. Says, "You know what the word means?" I go, "Yeah." I looked at him. I'm going, "So sorry about that." In anyway, but definitely does a great job. One of the celebrated uh, reporters. Quite honestly, I mean, I mean that, and all due respect, probably one of the top reporters in our industry, looking at what is wow. going on and does a great job. I'm serious, Paul. You do a really good job of dialing in and looking at you and your team, the whole group there does. But you, I know how hard you work because I know how hard you bug me to get stories of what's happening out there. So you're you are actively in the market, but so. Let's get some perspective on what is going on, but for those of you who are not aware of it, Paul's dialing in from IMF News, stands for Inside Mortgage Finance. He's imfnews.com. You can sign up for his daily pod. Is it daily, or do you do it sometimes a couple of times a day, as often as necessary? Uh, those things? Daily. Uh, you know, we have the way the Inside Mortgage Finance uh, system publications works, we have a, a number of weeklies. Um, Therefore, is data, and people subscribe to those. The uh, daily is is just that. It's a web daily that's sent out and the daily. posted online uh, every day at about 12 to 12.30. So, uh, but anyway, thank you for the kind plug. That's very kind of you to say all those neat things. So what do we got going? Uh, listen, yeah. I, I don't want to talk election <laughs> because I'm sure all your <laughs> – your listeners are sick of it, and you know we'll we'll digest in the coming days what it means uh, Hillary or uh, Trump victory will mean for the mortgage markets, and you know I could digress a little here and get into that, but um, perhaps not. I mean it's you know it's just it's just it is but it will be what it <laughs> let's will just be. leave yeah. it at that. It will be what it's going to be. So let's leave it at that. Okay, listen. Yeah. The, the big question for a lot of guys in the market. FHA lenders is, you know, are we going to see a premium cut? You know, we've been hearing whispers of this for six months now, and so far nothing. And Georgia Brooks has got the lead story today on the daily. Uh, you know, the, the big t- thing you should take away from that story is you, you have uh, some analysts uh, in particular at one of the firms saying, uh, you know, we're not going to see a premium cut this year. And then, of course, you know, the actuarial report on the mutual mortgage uh, insurance fund comes out. Uh, probably right after Thanksgiving or right before, and we'll know how that fund looks. And if it's really fat, you know, we'll probably see a premium cut next year, I would I would gather, but not this year. At least that's sort of the betting now. And, and of course, if you have an FHA premium cut, how much is that going to, you know, cause originations to go up? And that's obviously that's what lenders want to know. And, you know, no one's griping about uh, the risk of FHA to the government or its financial uh, soundness at this point. So, uh, the only one who's got the gripe would be the MI firms, which compete against FHA. So that's the, that's one takeaway. Uh, we also did a, a version of the employment report every uh, Friday, uh, the first Friday of the month it comes out. Uh, you know, mortgage bankers added 2,900 workers during the month, if you can believe those numbers. Mortgage brokers cut 100 workers. And we talked to um, Casey Crawford uh, at Moving Mortgage. A lot of people know him, the yeah. former football player. Uh, he runs that shop. Uh, he told me they're hiring like crazy, and that's a direct quote. We also talked to Matt Ishbia, who runs the largest wholesaler out there, and he said they're hiring uh, sort of like crazy, too. 
the question is, you know, cutbacks primarily over the last few months have been on the servicing side of the business as loan delinquencies continue to go down, services have laid off uh, or trimmed their workforces. So that's just a big takeaway there. Uh, last week, the CFPB put out something sort of interesting. Uh, Brendan Ivey wrote about that today. Uh, they said they took uh, some action against one or more lenders uh, regarding uh, the way they verify, uh, verify income on non-QM loans. And the interesting thing there is that some of these lenders went to a website uh, that's uh, and it's not mentioned, but we'll try and find out more. It's, it's a website that comes up with alternative income documentation. One of the things uh, they do is they, they aggregate employee data and they estimate income based upon each consumer's zip code, job title, the years in their current occupation. They, yeah, and they, they come up with a number. And, and some lenders are going on that website and basically clicking and saying, looks good to me, let's make the loan. I think that's <laughs> hilarious, by the way. I love it. And uh, we're going to explore it a little more. I think it's a real neat story, by the way. Uh, anyway, uh, Brandon also did a story, which I'm not a real expert on, but he wrote that about apparently a precedent set in uh, on foreclosures and servicers in a Florida case. Uh, I think people who want to know more about that should look at that story um, and dive into it a little more. Uh, we also have an M&A, small M&A thing, Phoenix Capital, selling a GSE uh, bulk portfolio, $400 million. Uh, as an aside, it looks like we're going to see uh, more deals in the weeks ahead before year-end. Uh, we're going to see a lot more offerings. I understand the question is, will any of these MSR trades uh, settle before year-end so the income can be booked or whether it's going to spill over to the first quarter? There's not a lot of time left in the year when you take due diligence into account. Uh, in the short-take section, uh, we mentioned Stonegate. Stonegate Mortgage is, by the way, the last mortgage company to go public. They went public three years ago. It's the last mortgage IPO uh, of a non-bank lender servicer. Uh, they had a pretty good quarter, $15.5 million, but they had a big loss in the second quarter, uh, and the nine-month numbers don't look so hot. Uh, that's a company whose future is, uh, shall we say, a lot of people looking at it, what's going to uh, lie ahead for them. For a while there, they were uh, fielding takeover offers, but uh, so far no sale. And I guess the question is, you know, what happens to them going forward? Uh, and that's sort of about it. There's a couple other short items there, which uh, I won't get into, but we just check out the website at www.imfnews.com. And that's about Good it. Good job. Great job all the way around. Appreciate you dialing in, friend. we got Ted Tozier on, so you have to come back and listen to the podcast and listen to his interview. Got some great comments from him, especially about the election. So we're going to dive into a little right. bit of that. Can't, can't resist. Anyway, good to have you with us, Fred. Appreciate it so much. We're going to be you. right back with a brief ad with Simplify with Alice Alvey. We'll be right back after this brief break. Simplifile has technology that gives you the ability to collaborate with settlement agents via real-time chat and messaging, allowing you to track changes, send, receive, and validate documents, as well as obtain status updates and deal with issues as they arise. All of this in a real-time electronic communication exchange. And best of all, you have a complete audit trail of all communications. To learn more, go to Simplifile.com or call our good friend Nancy Alley at 1-800-460-5657. Yeah, good job. All right, Alice Alvey, good to have you on the podcast as always. You have been here since the beginning, and it's just such an honor to have you and appreciate the friendship and the great job you do. So give us an update on everything that's going on legislatively. Yes, thanks, Dave. Well, an agency too, right, because there's a lot going on on yeah. both fronts. So <laughs> um, one of the things I want to make sure everybody's aware of, CFPB published their supervisory highlights for the fall, 
and they're identifying compliance management system weaknesses, which are always important to watch out for and kind of check off the box that you've got these under control. So lenders not conducting compliance audits of their mortgage origination activities, weak oversight of their service providers, no procedures for establishing clear expectations to decrease the risk from third-party providers. And then one of the ones that really caught my eye was approving loans for salaried borrowers with alternative income documentation, and they're relying primarily on assets and not calculating a DTI. So the disclosed income isn't verified, but was tested for reasonableness using an internet tool that aggregates data and estimates income based on the resident's zip code, job title, and years on the job. And that's not enough, right? It was just kind of a supportive behind-the-scenes component. Um, so I think they pointed out a few um, weaknesses in systems. Um, we see several other items that are key in terms of just communication flow when updates are being issued by different agencies. Um, so just definitely worth reading and making sure you walk through that for your company and you're not, you don't have any of those existing gaps. Um, SpinCEN issued an advisory FAQ on cyber events, crime, and AML and BSA obligations. I thought this was really important. Um, you've got to go in and re read this to make sure that you're clear on um, cyber events that you have to track. And when does a cyber event become a SAR? Or when is it a, and when is it a mandatory report or a voluntary report? So there's a several categories, right? Was it just unauthorized, someone trying to hack into your system? Was it really relevant and a possible violation of the law? Or is there is there something that's some entity or um, cyber hacking that's going on that's regularly trying to acquire funds through some kind of illegal activities? So there's some real good you know, reminders. And sometimes these are reminders, people go, wait a minute, I never saw that in writing before. <laughs> so it's a, it's a first time. Wow, I need to get that detail and make sure I check that. So, again, that was an advisory and FAQs that was published by the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. So make sure you get your hands on that one. Um, the UCD, the new uniform uh, closing data set, is going to be required as of 9-25-17 note dates. So hopefully everybody is all set um, and starting to work on that programming. Um, FHA's proposed rules for condos, that comment period is going to be ending November 28th. So you still have time. I know after you vote, maybe you can go think about this <laughs> and clear and go think about uh, what your position would be. This is a great component. We do want that FHA has much more flexibility, and that's really the theme behind um, this condo proposed rule. One of the main things we want to make sure is that FHA will get the authority to expand their range of owner occupancy that they can offer within. Now, it doesn't automatically set a new owner occupancy percentage requirement. Obviously, the lower it is, the more projects we can have become FHA approved, but um, it does give FHA flexibility to be able to reduce that. Uh, so we do want to make sure FHA has that authority. Um, it, would, it would potentially tighten up what a DE lender approval um, process has to look like, which is just a good thing, and I think most lenders are following anyway. Uh, so one area we want to make sure everybody jumps in and comments so that FHA gets that authority. Um, one other thing is the revised application, the revised 1003 that we're looking at having come out in the future here. It used to say that the effective date was going to be January of 2018. Now it doesn't even have a date. Now it's just back to it's not for current use and we're going to wait and see what the actual effective date is. So we know the form is out there. Go check it out. But if you're a loan officer, you're yep. going to go without a date in the next couple of months. I don't care. So that's 
going to get pushed off. And I think that was the main thing. As far as actual legislation, we're still watching the House Bill 5983 for the Financial Choice Act. Uh, that's just sitting out there. And hopefully safe transitional licensing, H.R. 2121, gets snuck into some other bill. You know, we do have, Dave, that things happen at the very end of the year. And um, so we'll be watching these two components to see if we get anything um, in December. Uh, let's get through this week, and, and then we'll see who wants <laughs> to kind of have a last push in December. So that's yep. my report for today, Dave. Very good job, Alice. Appreciate it so much. I mean, we're going to have uh, Natalie Hunt of Fannie Mae on. I saw her at the conference, and uh, we were trying to get her scheduled. She's, um, we're, we'll hopefully get that done. A lot of things going on there. Natalie, by the way, is the one that uh, pushed or was responsible for the new application, so the new Fannie Mae 1003 application. So we'll have her on and coordinate with you. Make sure you're here so you can talk about it, Alice. Appreciate it very much joining us again. Well, we're going to take a quick break. Be right back after this brief word. If you have questions about mortgage regulations, Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge. The Mortgage Collaborative was founded by former chairman of the NBA, John Robbins and David Kittle, and leaders at the forefront of the diversity movement in the real estate industry, Jim Park and Gary Acosta. The Mortgage Collaborative is the nation's only independent cooperative. The Collaborative provides its members the opportunity to meet and form meaningful relationships with top mortgage professionals and leaders in our industry. In a relationship-driven business such as ours, often who you know is as important as what you know. To learn more, go to mortgagecollaborative.com or call Rich Swarbinski at 440-552-0691. The power of the network. So good to have you back with us, everybody. Sam Garcia, loved having you on the line and talking about all that's going on. Give us an update from what you're seeing. Again, great website with a lot of data, mortgagedaily.com. What you got for us, friend? Well, um, I mean, probably the best news we've got to report is the Cowboys are kicking it, man. I love it. So, anyway, <laughs> lots of uh, lots of good data released this last week. Um, I heard Paul mention some of the uh, information about the Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, employment yeah. data, and as you're aware, we analyze the BLS data and use uh, origination market share to. Uh, come up with an estimate for total industry employment. That latest estimate uh, for September is 663,500 people. That includes 288,800 jobs estimated at banks, another 59,700 mortgage jobs at credit unions, and then the 315,000 that the BLS reported. Um, our mortgage market index inched up uh, 1% last week, and that index is an indicator of upcoming loan originations based on open-close rate lock activity. Um, the index was uh, up even though purchase financing activity was down 5%. Uh, behind the increase were refinances, which were up 11%. And that was interesting because refinances uh, moved up even though rates climbed. They jumped a, a good deal. And what we see historically is that as rates climb uh, to a certain threshold at some point, uh, people rush in to lock their rates before they you know, perceive them potentially going higher. So uh, 
that's uh, what we estimate why that uh, little rush was there. Um, over at PennyMac, they reported that their third quarter pre-tax income was $139 million. That's the most ever earned by PennyMac. Um, in addition, they reported a record $20.6 billion in mortgage originations. And uh, even better was that total rate locks jumped in the third quarter at PennyMac. So that points to continued uh, increase in originations for this current quarter. Um, over at Wells Fargo, they disclosed uh, that there's government uh, – uh, in their 10Q filing, they disclose federal and state government agencies are continuing to investigate or examine some of their uh, mortgage-related practices. Um, in addition, state and local government agencies, including the Justice Department and the SEC and congressional committees, um, are uh, have undertaken formal or un informal inquiries, uh, investigations, or examinations tied to the unauthorized uh, accounts that were opened by former employees. The Mortgage Bankers Association put out its Mortgage Credit Availability Index. Um, it was 171.3 in October. That's the highest that uh, we could find based on data going back to June 2008. So credit conditions are, are loosening quite a bit, and this is happening as we see refinances starting to diminish as far as outlooks and you know what people are reporting. Um, but still, even though you know the index is sitting pretty high uh, relative to recently, it's nowhere near the 869 level that was estimated for around June 2006. So, got a ways to go before we really get to those kind of loose credit uh, conditions. Uh, one other thing was that uh, consumer bankruptcy filings were down 2% in October to just over 60,000, and that was the second month in a row that bankruptcies receded. So uh, those are some of the big headlines we had for this last week, David. So good. Appreciate you being here with us, Sam, and give us an update. Great website, mortgagedaily.com, or call Sam at 214-521-1300. Really appreciate it. You know, I want to also talk a little bit about hometown lenders. They've been consulting. Uh, we've been consulting to them for a number of years. and uh, But they're currently looking to hire some loan originators, branch managers, and trainees, and branch managers nationwide who are serious about doubling their business. You want to think about that and have a conversation with them, get a hold of Sean Miller at 188-1888-606-8066. How many eights can you slip in there? Okay, or get a hold of them or go to their branch or their website, hometownbranch.com. I want to talk to Jim Jump. I appreciate the fact what they're doing over there with their Rate Star app. We're going to be right back with Jim Jump and then the KPI of the week, and then we're going to have Ted Tozier on. We'll be right back after this brief break. Hi, David. Thanks for having me on, and we're happy to be a proud sponsor of the program. And today I'd like again to talk about Rate Star from Arch Mortgage Insurance. RateStar is a revolutionary tool that allows mortgage originators to dynamically price mortgage insurance and match coverage to Archimai's most competitive rates. And that's important because it allows you to compete more effectively, qualify more borrowers, and of course close more loans. That's the power of RateStar. Originators from around the country are letting us know just how quick and easy RateStar is to use. And all you need is your NMLS number, and you can access RateStar anywhere, anytime, using multiple points of entry, including most LOS systems, product and pricing engines, and through our websites at archmi.com and archmicu.com for credit unions. And of course, it's available through our mobile app for smartphones and tablets. RateStar makes it easy to choose what type of mortgage insurance coverage your loan needs. You just touch, tap, and go. Quotes are delivered in seconds and represent our most competitive RHMI rates based on the strength and quality of the loan application. And I have to tell you, David, getting a mortgage insurance quote has never been so powerful 
or so simple. And with that, I'll turn it back over to you and say thanks. Have a great day, everybody. Yeah, and the other thing that I like, that's a great app, by the way. If you haven't gotten a hold of the, your local rep to get to take a look at what price advantage it can bring you, I encourage you to do so. Also, KPI of the Week. Every one of these ads that we try to bring into here has always got supposed to have packed with information about what you can do. The KPI, with the Key Performance Indicator of the Week that we want to focus on right now, has to do with the app to funding cycle. With that, John Maynell. Hello, thanks very much, David. Always good to be here. And this week's key performance indicator is application to funded cycle time. Uh, since the arrival of TRID, cycle time measurements have obviously come to the forefront, everything from looking at the entire application to funded cycle uh, down to sub-cycles or cycle time between milestones. Everyone wants to compress cycle time, and the beauty of this type of strategic KPI is that it can be tied to operational KPIs that track the tasks or processes within the cycle that contribute to how long or short that cycle is. So operational KPIs can be thought of as the cause, and strategic KPIs are the effect. Uh, and balancing and monitoring these key measurements really can drive performance, and this demonstrates again that what gets measured gets results. And with that, David, I will turn it back to you. Thanks very much again. Thanks, John. Really appreciate that. That's MotivitySolutions.com or call them at 303-721-9000 to learn about all the KPIs that they have built into their system. I don't know how we manage a business anymore without these business intelligence tools. So good to have you with us. Again, it is a real honor to have Ted Tozier be joining us today. Ted is dialing in from his office. I think it's one of the few times he's been in his office for the last month. I was talking to him uh, at last week in Austin, and uh, he said uh, he had, before the, M the MBA conference in Boston, he had been over-speaking in China. He flew from there to Boston, and then uh, he was there, flew to a wedding, and then on to Austin, where we were together last week at the Merrick Catalyst, and then finally got home. So, uh, Ted, you are one traveling guy. It's really good to have you with us joining in on this conversation. Thank you for being with us. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. For those that do not know Ted, Ted was appointed to be the president of Jenny May, and in, in uh, I believe it was 2010, if I'm not, is that correct, Ted? 2010. Yeah, I, yeah, I took the position and uh, was sworn in on uh, February 23rd, uh, 2010. And for those, we get we're an increasing number of consumers even listening to this space. So for those that do not know, uh, this is an, an appointee position, correct? Yeah, I was uh, appointed by the president and confirmed by the Senate. Yes, exactly right. So, and you've done an amazing job. Uh, you're a sought-after expert in the housing industry with more than 30 years of experience in mortgage banking and the securities industry. Also, you have managed the Jenny May's amazing $1.7 trillion portfolio of mortgage-backed securities, which has grown by more than 50% in his tenure there. That's amazing. And Jenny May Ted has also brought renewed focus to protecting the government guarantee and managing the common securitization platform for the government mortgage program and has done an excellent job. Ted, it's really good to have you be here. And I really want to get into the discussion about the housing and where we're going. I want to get towards the end of this interview today. I want to talk about your thoughts on the election. But let's start off by talking about where Jenny May has said. Since the housing crisis, Jenny May has grown exponentially, as we talked about just briefly, up there, doubled by February. is a 50% growth. That's just astounding. Can you, uh, can you start by talking about Jenny May's growth story, what, what that has been about, what's caused that? It's just an unusual focus on, on FHA programs. What's your thoughts? 
Um, basically, there was two things happened. Uh, I agree. It was the um, the FHG program initially, if you look go back to 2010-11. But what's even more more important is uh, since um, 2011, the VA, the Veterans Administration program, has become even more prominent. To now, probably uh, almost 40% of the loans in our securities are now uh, in, in guaranteed by the, the VA. Where uh, when I first got here, they made around 10, 15% of the business. So we've had a tremendous movement to Veterans Administration's programs as well as FHA. Plus, another thing that's really happened that's really caused an explosion in the program is we've had um, new entrants come in, um, uh, people who uh, historically had sold their loans, uh, service released uh, to the big aggregators, you know, like Bank of America, Wells, or Chase, decided to deal with us directly. And a lot of them have had incredible growth once they uh, were able to deal with us directly. I think that's uh, it. Really speaks to the non-banks in the uh, in the market. There has been a lot of press about the growth of non-banks. I mean, the the independent mortgage bankers is what we're talking about, folks. And uh, this is very evident in the program. How would you? How are you managing the risk related to uh, the overall risk? But also, is there an added risk now that we have the independent mortgage bankers having a more prominent role in the market, specifically with Jenny May? Exactly. I mean, it's not only independent mortgage bankers because they do have um, too unique challenges. It's the fact that because they're not like uh, um, banks or for institutions that can raise, um, you know, cash very um, easily through having FDIC-insured deposits. But also, too, the, another change for Jenny May has been that when I got to Jenny May, uh, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and Chase accounted for almost 70, 70% of our business. So we didn't have much really counterparty risk. Wow. Those three organizations were rock solid, right. not only from the perspective of big banks, but they also had the, the Fed and all the other regulatory agencies looking over the shoulder. So now we've gone from Bank of America, Wells, and Chase to now these independent mortgage bankers. So it's, it's gone from just very few people to really oversee to now we have uh, over 400 approved issuers in our program, over 300 a month are actually coming and issuing securities of the program. Where back when I got to Jenny May, like I said, the three organizations dominated. But even on a, on a monthly basis, we probably the most had 90 organizations issuing. So we've had probably a quadrupling of between uh, you know three times to four times the amount of people every month issuing off a platform uh, in the same time period. Yeah, go ahead. Right. I was saying, so So that's where the risk is. It's the sheer number of people we have to oversee, as well as the complexity of the people that, in their finances that uh, are in the program. I want to talk about sustainable growth, but a question just came in from one of our listeners, and it says, are you still seeing a surge of applications, people trying to get approved, or has that begun to die down a bit? It's dying down. I mean, in reality, we, we kind of opened our door dramatically to uh, new entrants, probably in 2012, so you know, in the last four years, really most people that really have um, really want to become a Jeremy issuer have filed their application and pretty much been approved. So our application, new application volume is, is really slowed down to really uh, a trickle, uh, mainly because I think, like I said, most people I think are in the program that really have an interest in, about being in the program. Yeah, that's good. Well, let's talk about how long you can sustain this kind of growth made in the market. You know, has your platforms had any trouble scaling to this additional volume that that you have to now handle? No, I mean, really, with our uh, uh, securitization platform, we over the last um, four or five years, we've done a good job of moving our hardware and software to really a um, 
structure so it's not your old um, mainframe type application to one where it runs uh, kind of a server type environment. So now our capacity is, is pretty much unlimited. Uh, we pretty much just have okay. to add more server capacity and so forth, but we try to use 21st century technology to really enable us to really have, like I said, almost a limited uh, scalability. I know there was concern about the platforms that you were on because there were some old, old, antiquated ones. You have done a great amount of improvement to Jenny May in your time frame there, Ted. Alice, I want to, talk to toss the mic over to you and let you get in a few questions. Great. Thanks, Dave. Welcome to the program, Ted. It's good to have you with us again. Um, so could, uh, you had just mentioned about the systems being updated, but certainly with all that volume is also staffing, right? So uh, can you tell me about Ginny May you know, today and what that future looks like overall just from a, a business model and then just kind of uh, with the staffing issues as well with all that growth? Yeah, I mean, that's probably the biggest challenge we have right now is staffing because um, the problem we have in Washington is that unless there's a crisis, nobody really thinks there's a problem. And the problem we have is we've been so successful in growing and, and being able to handle this volume that for us to really um, get the appropriators to allocate more funds for us for salaries has been a challenge. And we have seen some increase, just, but it's, it's just been uh, very limited. Like uh, when I got to Ginny May, um, we had only about uh, 68 employees. That's all we had. And now we're up to 140. So I have 140 employees that are trying to run uh, basically the largest common securitization platform in the world and the most successful common security in the world. Um, it is it is a challenge, and that's what our that's really we're trying to educate people on all the uh, things we're doing to hopefully um, we get the money allocated to us from Congress because under our process we have all this fee income that comes in every month. But Congress, we actually were part of the appropriations process, so Congress has to actually appropriate dollars to us to uh, hire staff. So, um, for lenders who don't know, you know that much about Jenny May, can you talk a little bit about the Jenny May model and how it compares uh, to Fannie and Freddie? Well, well again, uh, with Jenny May, we're uh, the best way to really compare uh, Jenny May to is we're very similar to um, the Federal Bonds Insurance Company. Business corporation. If you think about it, you know, banks issue um, CDs and other deposits to fund you know, auto loans and other short-term assets. They have short-term liabilities. Well, Jenny was created in 1968, so lenders had the ability to borrow long-term money so they could fund 30-year mortgages. Um, so they wouldn't have the same problem the savings loan industry had in the 1980s, where they had 30-year mortgages being funded with you know three and five-year CDs. So really, Jenny, we perform the role of having a lender creating an um, obligation that um, locks in 30-year funding, and we guarantee that, that, that obligation to the bondholder so that, that way if the, uh, if the issuer doesn't make their payment, then um, we'll spend to make sure we can find an issuer that can make a payment. Similar to the way the bank will shut down a bank and move the deposits to another bank, that's how we do with our process. Fannie and Freddie, Fannie and, Mae and Freddie Mac are just like one of our issuers. I mean, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are really no different than a Bank of America or Wells Fargo. They literally buy mortgages, create uh, these obligations these, uh, that we talked about that our lenders issue, and then they um, uh, they make the spread between uh, the mortgage interest rate and the amount that uh, they, the MBS is issued for. The difference is Fannie and Freddie Mac have an applied guarantee on their debt where our issuers have an explicit guarantee of debt through us. So we're, so probably the closest thing we're, we would kind of match and mirror up with would be the FDIC or, if you want to look at it, 
FHFA, who's actually there to make sure that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac um, financially are able to uh, operate. Um, so really, we're not really comparable to um, uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Our, our issuers are just like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. I, that's a great way to tell it. And I think people who um, have not been able to explain that in the past may have to replay that so that you get it. In, they get it ingrained in their head. I love the way that you explain that with the FDIC comparison. So um, you and I were chatting back at the MBA conference about what Ginny Mae means to credit access, and you're very passionate about the role of Ginny Mae going forward, and I love that because I'm FHA and VA lending really are such a pivotal uh, part of home ownership and gain, people being able to get into homes. Could you speak to that a little bit, what Ginny Mae means to credit access? Well, the biggest thing that we really bring to the table is that uh, our issuers all are able to kind of make the determination themselves on what um, aspects of the FHA and VA programs that they want to offer. You know, that literally if you're an issuer who, you know, really uh, has a servicing operation that's high touch, so you can handle loans that tend a little bit higher delinquencies, you're great in our program. And you can take a little bit higher servicing fee and you can, uh, um, you can be in our program. If you're an issuer who wants to, to doesn't have the kind of high touch servicing and you want to do higher, um, you know, credit quality, and a smaller servicing fee, you're welcome a program too. When you put it all together, our, our credit um, access is substantially greater than, for example, that of the GSEs because the GSEs kind of create a one-size-fits-all type program because, again, they're an issuer. And so because of that, they kind of make the call on what um, um, loan quality is done on the conventional space, where, again, in our world, we have 433 issuers that are actually competing against one another and they're actually deciding what their niche is going to be. So in our program, we have 433 Fannies and Freddies where in the conventional space you got two. So there's no competition that really forces Fannie and Freddie Mac to open up their credit box. Because if you look at our um, FICO score distribution, um, as soon as the um, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and Chase started seeing their market share um, drop below 50%, you know, all three of them combined went from like 70% to 50 Once it got below 50 we started seeing a tremendous drop in our FICO scores on average to the point where they're probably about 25 to 30 points lower uh, now than they were back in 2011 and 12. And so, again, I attribute that to the competition that came from our issuers all trying to um, compete and uh, to actually try to think, think, find their niche in the various programs. So I think that's where I think the uh, Fannie uh, Jane made some critical to, to credit access, and it's also, too, that's been great in the fact that our security trades so well in the marketplace. When lenders actually borrow through our vehicle, um, they actually are able to attract uh, interest rates probably a quarter of percent lower in yield than, uh, than a Fannie Freddie um, mortgage-backed security. And then when you put the Fannie Freddie guarantee fees on, it, it gets you know, well over three-eighths in rate difference. So, again, it's, it's, it's a great program. We have lower FICO scores because of the competition, and overall cost of funding is cheaper for the lenders, which gets passed on the consumer. So it really is, a, 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 I think, a great vehicle that hopefully you know, people look at going forward for um, housing financing form because it really is, a, uh, I think it really is an interesting vehicle because Ed DeMarco has written a paper about that, about how he really sees some, some value. 
We're trying to get Ed on the program here. Looking forward to having him because he has done some writing on it. Let's get the microphone over to Joe Farr. Joe, good to have you here, and I know you've got some questions you would like to ask. Yeah, yeah, Ted, I, I appreciate all, all this. Uh, I'm an old accountant, and so it helps me to understand sort of cash flows. And as I understand your business, this may be terribly simplified, but you get fees in at, at six basis points uh, coming out of the interest rate, so six basis points on the principal of the loan. And then with that money, you pay your operating costs, but you also have to uh, execute on your guarantee, which would occur if servicers are unable to perform. And, and so, number one, I guess I, I ask, is that a, is that fairly accurate? And then two, uh, how much are, are you operating profitably? Well, yeah, we we make an average on a. Um, on a gap basis, you know, terms of the kind of principles, we um, we average um, the last uh, five six years right around a uh, billion dollars a year in uh, in uh, income. Uh, it's all pre-tax, and we don't pay taxes for the government, so it's, a, it's about a billion dollars we make uh, a year, and uh, that is after we've um, adjusted for all of our expenses, like you mentioned, but under gap purposes too. We set up our loss reserves for the potential of issuers defaulting, and so that's after all of our reserves are are established and maintained, as well as all of our expenses. We're making about a billion dollars a year on average. And you've never had to ask uh, the government for money, have you? No. We, we continue to keep building retained earnings. Right now we have retained earnings um, right around $16 billion. And so, again, we just, we, so we just, so again, we would have to deplete that before we'd have to go to the government for money. I mean, in reality, the government takes our money because basically what happened is we basically uh, the retained earnings are pretty much all U.S. Treasuries because Treasury takes our cash and we lend we lend it to the Treasury and they give us uh, what they call non-public debt on our balance sheets. But so we literally just have to uh, uh, liquefy those those uh, Treasuries uh, if we needed to uh, to raise the cash. But right now, even the defaults we've had right now, we've had enough cash coming just off our six basis points to really have to be able to. Uh, um, Manager guarantee. We even, we even had we have not had to sell our treasuries um, at this point. We've had some defaults over the last few years. Yeah, uh, and real quick, what kind of defaults occur? I mean, is it just a servicer that collects cash that doesn't ultimately get it to you to pass on, or what is that? Well, the problem running into is in today's world, uh, like I said, we, we create these obligations that the bondholder, the issuer, has to make um, um, cash payments to the bondholder whether they they have underlying cash being generated by the loans or not. So if the loans if they have a high amount of delinquencies or they have loans that are tied up in the state with long, long foreclosures, so if they keep building up this receivable that they're going to get back from FHA or VA, but after a while they run out of cash. I mean, yeah. so most of them just been situations where they can no longer fund those receivables, and at that point then they, uh, they basically, um, you know, um, you know, this basically care bankruptcy, just like anybody other, any other organization that just runs out of cash and can't and can't fund their obligations. In today's world, though, we're pretty lucky. Most of the time, we're able to find somebody to take over the servicing without us having to subsidize it. Because again, you get this big receivable that's built up that comes with the servicing when they uh, take over the obligation to get the receivable, and so the receivable is worth quite a bit. So at this point, it really hasn't cost as much to uh, uh, transfer these obligations from one issuer to another. Yeah. And what about demand for Ginny Mae Securities? I know a lot of that in the past has come from, uh, you know, across the globe. Uh, where where do you see a lot of demand for the for the Ginny Mae Mortgage Back Securities? 
Right now, historically, it's come heavily from uh, um, Asia, mainly the, the mainland China, uh, Taiwan, uh, Japan, and uh, Korea. But we're also seeing interest now from other parts of the world because with this low interest rate environment, people now are, are looking more and more for yield. And historically, like the Europeans and other parts of the world, we're kind of concerned about the ability for American consumers to prepay it well without any kind of prepayment penalty. So they say shied away from mortgage-backed securities, but now we're even getting interest from Europe and other parts of the world. They're looking at, um, because right now uh, a genuine security trades at about a 75 basis point yield pickup to a comparable treasury. So a lot of them now are coming in saying, wow, 75 basis points is a pretty good return. Let me do the math to see how I'd have to hedge out that repayment risk. And so we're getting more and more interest to the point now where our biggest problem now is we actually have more demand than we have bonds. And that that's the biggest challenge uh, right now. When dealers tell me now that when um, people sell their, their positions from time to time they have a, and they want to buy them back, it's tough sometimes because there's such a demand for the securities that, uh, that sometimes it become almost illiquid in the trading environment because there's just so many uh, um, people wanting to buy the bonds. Well, I bet the, the negative interest rates in Europe don't hurt, do they? No, exactly. In, in Europe, Asia, everyone in the world has pretty much gone to negative interest rates except for here. So it's it's, it's really sparked a ma- uh, major uh, interest in uh, in our securities from all around the world to the point now where, um, again, it, it's just forcing our interest rates down lower and lower. Like I said, right now, we traded probably uh, 100 basis points in, in price better than Fannie's, and I think a lot of it's because, again, with that explicit guarantee, uh, people compare us to treasuries, and knowing having a pickup, it's just really, uh, uh, it's just really made us a the go-to security around the world. I think some people even talk about us that we've even replaced almost the U.S. treasuries as being the fixed income uh, instrument, um, really that it goes to because with negative, with the, once you hedge up foreign exchange risk, uh, treasuries now are almost like negative interest rates around the world. So what's left is Jenny Mays, where you get the same credit as the U.S. Treasury, but you actually have a positive yield once you hedge out your mm-hmm. foreign exchange exposure. Wow. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, you sit and look at where the the pivotal role Jenny May is playing, both from to the investors and also to the housing market. It's really important that we maintain what Jenny May is doing. And as we look at this presidential election, there's a, I think there's a general perception, as indicated by the markets and how the markets are trading, at least on the equities, suggests that if it is perceived that we're closer to a Clinton presidency, presidency then there's where we see less risk in the market. If we see a Trump presidency, there's more unknowns. We're seeing that. But let's talk about GSE reform. How, I mean, probably under a Clinton presidency, there's probably less chance of GSE reform. At least there's been less talk. But not that, the, not that either candidate's talking much about what their housing policy is going to be. But there's so many more unknowns when it comes to a Trump presidency. So what could GSE reform mean to Jenny May if, in fact, we do finally see some GSE reform? Well, again, if we actually do see it, again, I think the key is going to be is I think more people in Washington keep talking about GSE reform is housing reform. Like they would talk to a number of people that look at the fact that when we they tried to do GSE reform a couple of years ago, they limited just to GSEs. But now they begin to realize it's a housing ecosystem. FHA, VA, uh, Jenny May, it's all going to be thrown together because a mortgage is a mortgage is a mortgage, I mean, and uh, the right. idea of having a bifurcated system. So I think that's the big thing that's changed. So I think for that point, I think Jenny May will be brought into the process, or it should. It's like FHA, VA in the conventional space, it should be a, in totality 
the biggest challenge I think we have right now is I think most uh, politicians perceive that housing is in pretty good shape because of the fact that you know, people are able to get historically low interest rates and, you know, right. you know the, the housing is moving. So I don't think it's really any impotence for people to really move forward because um, I think the, the housing market is so big, uh, people, I think, are concerned about making a false you know, move or doing something that might disrupt things. So right now I think that that's the biggest challenge is what's the, um, you know, the catalyst that would get people perceiving they have to move forward versus thinking, well, things are great, and I'll just, you know, um, deal with it later uh, because of the fact that there's bigger fish to fry on other policy issues that are out there because you've only got so many things that uh, an administration or a Congress can work on at one time. You've been there since 2010. You must have some opinions on what GSC reform should look like. Would you share those with us? Well, again, again, like I said, just kind of, I guess, being biased, it's been a great black mention before. I think the thing that's interesting for me is when I first took this job in 2010, I really felt that Jeremy had a lot of potential to really be an um, equalizer in the market, to let competition flourish, to let the private you know, market really kind of um, uh, determine kind of what's appropriate um, you know, uh, pricing and so forth of mortgages. And um, what's come to fruition is with this movement we've had the last couple of years, where the uh, major banks have pulled out, we have all these individual companies now that are dealing with Ginny May. It's proven that uh, it, it, it does happen, that really that by bringing the private sector and bringing competition in, you, you're able to actually engender uh, better um, uh, execution for consumers, and, and it, it drives, it makes the process more efficient. And uh, so I think from that perspective, I would think that Ginny May, since we have the, the largest and most successful common security and common securitization platform in the world. The question I have is why don't we use that as a starting point to look at this whole process because Fannie and Freddie are trying to build out a common security and common securitization platform for the two of them and we're doing it today for 433. So, and plus, like I just mentioned about the brand we have on our security worldwide, that our security is being um, oversubscribed around the world. So the question I have is, to me, I would hope to think that they would bring uh, Jenny May into this whole discussion and look at the Jenny May model versus the GSC model as a way to move, move forward because I, I think it has a lot uh, it can prove. It's not just theoretical. You can look and actually see the last couple of years and show what impact Jenny May's had on the housing market. We have had so many questions come in, Ted, so I'm going to try to get through some of these questions. One of the first ones is, is again, a lot of people singing your praises. You've done an amazing job there during a very – you came into a situation. You know, Joe Murin, I think, is who was there before, did a good job and managed it. But, I mean, it, that, there was a lot of change that needed from systems to people to growth, and there was a resurgence. You were being inundated by barbarians at the gate with applications there for a while. I remember talking to Michael Drain, and it was just like you guys were overwhelmed. You've managed through all of that, and you've done a great job. And one of the rear, a lot of our listeners want you to know that, how much they appreciate what you've done there at Jenny. So one of the questions, logical ones, that comes up reoccurring, ask Ted if he's going to stay. If he is elected, asked to stay, will you continue to stay at the helm of Jenny May? Many are hoping the answer is yes. I think that's what's implied here. Well, again, I'd like to stay involved to some degree. I'm going to put a lot of effort into this Jenny May, like you said, of the last seven years. Um, um, and to see what I can do. I mean, the idea of just what kind of role I can play. Um, but I think at this point, I think as far as an active day-to-day role, as far as really Jenny May, I think I need to take a break. But I would like to stay really stay involved in any way I can to keep uh, the momentum going that's that's going on here, Jenny May, because we are 
um, we are. We're accomplishing more today than we were a couple of, day, couple of years ago. I mean, we're, we're building momentum. And, again, uh, you, you, you said people are singing my praises. But, again, I think the most important thing is they need to sing the praises of the 140 people here at JMA. I mean, think about it. Oh, yeah. Everything you, you talking about is being done with 140 people. I've got an incredible group here that I don't think I don't think it's any part of the government that runs as effectively and as efficiently and is able to have the impact per person that this organization has. And, and there's no way that, that anything that I could have accomplished any portion of what I planned on doing if I didn't have this group here to actually execute it. So I can't th- say enough for what a great group I got here. You do. I mean, from Michael Drain throughout the whole group, I, I really, I just how serious they are, but yet how accommodated they are. Uh, $16 billion in retained earnings says it all. It's been an amazing success story. When you look at where the investors across the globe come to, it's coming back to Jenny Mae so many times. So I want to ask so many more questions. One last question everyone's begging me to ask. What do you think about this election? You know, is there any idea? What, where do you see it? We're not going to predict the future, but we're going if it's, if it's Clinton presidency, what do you see? And what do you see? Any insights into what you anticipate with a Trump presidency? Everyone wants to hear your opinion on that one. I mean, I, and we're talking I, about I mean, housing reform and, and housing finance as it relates to housing finance and, of course, Jenny Mae. I mean, the only thing I could really throw out is, I guess, from the perspective that um, I would think that if Donald Trump's elected, I would think he would kind of uh, carry on with the kind of Republican position, really trying to um, put pressure on FHA to kind of downsize. And so from that perspective, it would impact Jenny May if we're not able to move more into the conventional space. Um, so I think that would probably be the impact of Donald Trump indirectly by probably putting some pressure on on FHA to shrink. Uh, as far as Hillary Clinton, I would think that uh, if Secretary Clinton became president, I would think would probably discontinue the status quo. I really can't see yeah. that really um, uh, helping or hurting us from uh, from that perspective. Only, I guess the only positive thing about Donald Trump being elected, there may be some sort of a situation he may do something that may allow the, the banks to get a little more comfortable to maybe come back into the space a little more. I mean, who, who knows what, what kind of, because like yeah. you said, he hadn't really talked about his policies, so who knows what his policies will be. Yeah, he hasn't talked about them, but there's a the general sense of status quo will be the result of a Clinton's presidency, so everything will stay the same, but we don't know. But uh, I think one thing is we thought we'd have seen, uh, you know, possibly some Republican policies come to bear, but he has bucked the Republican trend so much. I'm not sure that that's going to happen. We're, it's going to be an unknown for sure. Ted, thank you so much for joining us today. For anyone wanting to connect with you and Jenny May, the best thing is to go to the website, or how would you like your our listeners to connect with uh, uh, you or the folks there at Jenny May? Yeah, just go to the website. You've got all the contact information on the website. JennyMay.com. I appreciate it so much. Ted, thank well, you so much. It's actually JennyMay.gov. Oh, Dove, that's right. I said I said .com. It's just out of habit. Yeah, JennyMay.gov, G-O-V. For those of you that have, most of you know that, but anyway, thanks for correcting me on that. Ted, thank you so much for taking time out of your extremely busy day. Appreciate you being here with us. We really hope that you continue on in that role. But if you need a break, we understand that, too. You have worn out your luggage more than just a few times doing over your last seven years there. Thank you so much, and begin to pass on our gratitude to everyone there at Jenny May for the outstanding job that you're doing. Appreciate it, friend. Thank you. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. You bet. 
Excellent job. Next week, we're going to have Leslie Gibbon on from ArchMI talking about how to educate, encourage, and qualify more first-time home buyers. one of the favorite topics. We'll also be talking about the election, what happened as a result of it, what it means, getting more specifics on that. But really looking forward to having Leslie Gibbon come on from ArchMI. Also, we're going to be doing a special broadcast from San Diego. While there, a special thank you out to ArchMI, Motivity Solutions, Velma, Simplified, DH, and the Mortgage Collaborative for being sponsors. And, of course, thank you to Alice and Joe and Sam and everyone, Paul, for making this program such a good program. And uh, I listen to it. I enjoy it. So good to have you with us, everybody. We'll look forward to having you here next week and hearing your thoughts or sharing our thoughts, what's going on. We'd love to hear from you. Email me, please, david at tms-advisors.com. Have a great one, everyone. Talk to you next week. This has been Lincoln on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lincoln of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week and thank you for listening.